<laughs> nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. And I want to uh, thank you today uh, for your kind letters. Let's see, today's June the 21st, 2005, and I do read all your letters carefully. I try to answer some of them, but lately I haven't been on top of that. Uh, I, I do appreciate the... Um, the articles you send me, especially the ones about the <laughs> male stream media malaise, you know. Indeed, the rich get richer and the poor get babies. And yes, cockistocracy, that is the name of a state ruled by its worst citizens. A lot of people like that word. Uh, it's spelled K-A-K-I-S-T-O-C-R-A-C-Y. Caca, yes. Cacastocracy. Rule by our worst citizens. Use it, yes. For those who prefer four-letter words, I saw a truck uh, on my way to the station today, and the front window, it said, uh, Buckfush, yes, spelled B-U-C-K-F-U-S-H. Buckfush, that will have some appeal for certain folks. Anyway... This week, I try to get back into the swing of things, summer fun. I went to Enrico's Friday night to hear Mel Sharp and his pals. Uh, I like to listen to a little jazz. Uh, summer evenings, Mel plays trombone. Mary was singing, yes. Uh, Mary, what is her name? Mary Holland, I think. San Francisco is still the best, the best. Gay Pride celebrations all week, folks. Don't miss out. Get over to the city if you live in Berkeley. Sunday, I went to the Geary Theater, see ACT's production of Edward Albee's play. Came, let's see, it was Broadway 202. It's called The Goat, <clears throat> or Who is Sylvia? Uh, notes toward a definition of tragedy, dear, dear me. <laughs> Edward Albee was born in 1928, so he's five years older than I am now. Maybe he should have just stopped after Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. No, 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 no. The later plays are fun, and I do appreciate. I just uh, hearken back to the ones that I did in the old days. Maybe I feel closer to Zoo Story and American Dream. Uh, they seem to me to be, uh, what is that, uh, clear, on message, as we say. This one, this new uh, parable or enigma, it's about this goat. Yes, about this goat or scapegoat or sacrificial goat. You decide. You figure it out. Uh, it's a game, of course. He's having us on, so to speak. 
We have a play about a successful middle-aged man. He's having a love affair with a goat. And yes, this is a uh, betrayal. Betrayal of his marriage vows. <laughs> Maybe he's trying to redefine adultery. The friend I went with insisted, yes, that that is exactly what happens, you see. Uh, but when you're talking about another woman, the whole uh, situation would be radically different. My question, which is echoed only once by the wife in the case, is whether or not um, this adultery is rape. After all, uh, I would pose the question, can an animal consent to sex with a human? The issue comes up only once uh, during the play. The wife, played by Pamela Reed, oh, she is fantastic. Now, Pamela Reed is worth... Uh, going to the play just to see her play Stevie. Now, it's Steve and Martin. That's the couple. Cute, cute. The son is gay. His name is Billy. Right, Billy Goat. The Billy Goat's gruff by the brothers Grimm comes to my mind. Yes. Some of the reviews insist that this play is a take on classic tragedy. Okay, let's see. Here. Mm -hmm. I think this is the director. He says... He said, we need to keep in mind the scope of what Albie is going for. He is hearkening back to moments like those when Oedipus is confronted with a profound and horrifying revelation, and yet he must go forward. Albie has captured that instant when you feel the breath of the gods on you. Okay. They go on to say that this is what the Greeks call the mysteries. I'm not actually sure how I would feel, whether I would feel that this was a great mystery come down upon me if uh, my partner in life, yes, were to tell me he was having it on with a goat. Uh, I prefer to compare this play to Albie's earlier a play, Seascape. I kind of like that one. That was the one in which two giant sea lizards intrude on what human beings call reality. That that actually um, dealt with this subject that he only touches on here. Uh, I think that Albie is throwing us a curve here, but <laughs> yes, metaphors are fun, and uh, if it's a one-joke play, well, uh, I guess he is asking us that to, to decide that when the unimaginable happens, what would we do? Now, the man who loves the goat, well, he insists that the goat loves him back and that looking into the goat's eyes is his life's epiphany, uh, revelation. His gay son, Billy, shrieks that the relationship is perverse. Ha ha. Well, these are sophisticated people. These are intellectuals trying to work it out here. I guess they seem to need something new in the way of betrayal. Albie uses all his comic skills to great effect here. Uh, there was a couple uh, sitting down front. They walked out. I, I don't know whether they were offended. He always says he likes that when he manages to offend, especially older white folks. Actually, I kept thinking of my favorite um, uh bestiality script. It was the one, uh, the sheep. You remember the sheep that was so loved, so loved by Gene Wilder in Woody Allen's film. Uh, everything you ever wanted to know about sex, it's just one um, of the vignettes in that movie. But uh, 
Actually, I, I, I bought it. I thought Gene Wilder was absolutely over the top in that one. Uh, he really did adore that sheep. Uh, now, comedy, what is it we say about comedy? Woody Allen says it, right? He says, well, he said, if it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, it's not. I'll be breaks the back of this one. And I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure we can call it, uh, what is it? Well, maybe it is just notes on a tragedy because a tragedy it is not. A comedy, yes, I will grant it. Uh, yes, it has its comic aspects and, uh, I'm sure it will, uh, do well here in San Francisco. Uh, what I wanted to mention before I forget is a PBS show tonight, uh, this is Tuesday, Tuesday, June the 21st, and tonight on uh, our KQED local station, but anyway, one of the PBS channels, check for times, there is a show on Point of View, POV, about a young woman, a 16-year-old, uh, my hero. She personifies tolerant, compassionate Christianity. This young woman is on a crusade to bring sex education to Lubbock, Texas. A very conservative community with a skyrocketing rate of teenage pregnancies. Uh, she says one in 14 girls will um, have unwanted pregnancies before they leave their teenage years. Oh, and STDs are reaching into the junior high. Um, HIV in junior high school. Oh, what fun. Anyway, on point of view, uh, the show is titled The Education of Shelby Knox. She's the 16-year-old high school student. She believes that no Christian can command the obedience of another Christian, and she tells them so. Even her pastor finds this shocking, shocking, yes. She talks back to power. Shelby Knox is an outspoken young woman. She has remarkable courage. Uh, she's unblinking in encounters with these older males in authority. Now, that startled me, uh... Her school district limits sex education to the abstinence-only programs. She herself took the abstinence-till-marriage pledge. She said that uh, that's her choice, to wait until she finds someone she's comfortable with or someone she can trust. She said something like that. But in one scene, she's confronted by church elders, and they say she's wrong to resist this uh, uh, abstinence-only program because that makes her a bad Christian. You know, she's very stern in her response. I kept looking around for other young women or her mom or somebody to back her up, but she was all alone in these scenes telling these older males that no one has the right to judge whether or not she is a good Christian. And she makes them, yeah, she makes them apologize. Later in the show, she firmly states that the young women who become pregnant or who suffer from STDs uh, are not bad People, they are just misinformed. They're living in situations without support, without education, without family uh, backup. She says the statistics indicate that 88% of the teenagers in Lubbock, Texas, will have sexual intercourse before they leave high school. What struck me about the, the show is the clear-eyed humanity and kindness of this young woman. She looks like just any other fluffy, cheerful, curly-haired 16-year-old girl from Texas. Uh, there was a preview on uh, Bill Moyers' old show. You know, Bill Moyers is no longer uh, 
on his show called Now, N-O-W, Now. Uh, it's been cut in half. It's only half an hour, but uh, it still goes to the heart of many of the issues. The problem of ignorance and uh, punitive puritanical woman blaming hasn't changed much in my lifetime, maybe not since the Stone Age. What has changed is the courage of young women to talk back. Uh, I don't think we did that when I was young. Maybe, yes, we did sometimes, a little bit. Resisting the phallocracy and uh, demanding that women's rights be respected. Uh, the conservative pundits like to call their issues uh, the culture wars, but I think it's pretty simple if you stop and analyze their pathology. Culture war is really the attack on women's liberation, on feminist modernism. All of that extends, of course, to gay rights, the whole package. Yes, here comes Hillary. Hell hath frozen over, boys. Hillary's hellcats are at the gates. Maybe this will happen. We have come for your daughters. We have come to educate your daughters, your wives, your mothers and sisters. The plan is to give women full citizenship, an equal voice in politics and in society. Ah, that's the last revolution. And men, men in droves are joining the struggle. Bill Clinton can stump for his wife in 2008. A second Clinton administration that might fly. I hear the screams of some of my left-wing pals, but I'm one of those who will take whatever we can get. Damned if I don't believe that, yes, we could get H.R.C. Hillary Rodham Clinton in 2008. We could see that woman in the White House. Uh, the only thing that might stop her is Bill Clinton's health. So I keep my fingers crossed. He does look frail. He should stay out of the fast lane, but that's unlikely, knowing his temperament. And before you waste time writing to me about the flaws in Bill and Hillary's political platforms, and of course they are uh, uh, very flawed uh, politicians, just take time to consider the alternatives. Please, please. Uh, I was once a utopian. I dreamed of a poet's world, all peace and justice, without greed and war. And in the 60s, I imagined that we were slouching toward socialism, or at least toward the sensible welfare state now found in Western Europe. Uh, and I was dead wrong. For the moment, it's damage control, kids. Kill fewer citizens. Harm less children. The Democratic Party uh, offers us a stay of execution. Republicans a license to kill. The worst thing going right now is this malevolent mood in the nation. You know, attack everywhere like the Marines. They know only one command. And even the far left seems to feel more need to attack those who are... Uh, those who are unwilling to die for the cause, um, I hope they're living for the cause. The Democrats managed to stop Bolton again. I wonder why so many of us have become so angry, so vindictive. Just look for someone to blame. Hmm. Yeah, scapegoats. Right, maybe that goat play is about that. Hmm. Is it what Shelley Knox, this girl in Lubbock, Texas, tells us? That we are mired in ignorance, 
that we are misinformed or uninformed, and not just about our sexuality, but ignorant of what makes a nation great, ignorant of what brings joy and real prosperity to any people in any society in any age. Why is it so damned hard for people to share and care? Uh, what was it I saw on the newspaper as I came in here? What was it? No, it was a slogan outside, a poster. It said, yes, it said, uh, when you give food to the poor, they call you a saint. But when you ask why the poor have no food, they call you a communist. Indeed, yes. How can it be that the richest country in human history will not cultivate its culture, will not cultivate its garden, as Voltaire said, will not educate its children. <laughs> of course, we know why they won't, because the children would grow up and throw the bums out. They will not bother with a liberal education, especially not today. They don't want to find a way to finance a single-payer health plan. You know, that would cut down on their profits. It's all fairly simple. The answer to human problems, we all know the answers. Uh, what is needed is the political will to make change. Think of Hillary's village. Of course, it's a utopian hope. Uh, a village where affection and compassion are practiced. Think of Hillary rushing into office and uh, saying that uh, she could pass a national health care plan and then being slapped down, slapped in the face with the knowledge that it was impossible. She said she just couldn't get it past the insurance companies. Uh, and that's why many people have lost faith in national leadership. They say it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It's only a minor side issue, you know. And they're pretty much right. Uh, they've turned to grassroots alternatives. There are many pockets of wisdom and common sense, alternative uh, structures. I mean, at least half this nation has its head screwed on right. But um, we need the resources, you know. We need the funding. And uh, the boys have got that sewed up. I'm almost convinced that the, uh, what is it, the culture of compassion has reached critical mass. And that if we tackle the corruption at the top, the corporate stranglehold on the resources, just maybe, just maybe we can take our democracy back. If only more and more women and men, like Shelley Knox, 16 years old, Lubbock, Texas, if only she would run for office and resist this cockistocracy, this cabal of corporate criminals who have seized power in Washington, D.C., uh, I dug into my files last night. I was looking for uh, the, all the wonderful programs that Bill Moyers did in the past. I mean, 20 years ago, he was talking about these issues, the issues of sex education, women's reproductive rights. Uh, sad to say, almost nothing, almost nothing has changed. Back in 1980, right here, I found, I found this guy. He, um, uh, George Gilder was his name. He was um, uh, the economic advisor to Ronald Reagan. And often in the battle over the fetus's right to life in the 1980s, uh, 
George Gilder wrote, let's see, 1986, he wrote Men and Marriage, and he expressed the fear underlying much of the male anxiety about female reproductive freedom. He believed that the feminist successful campaign for birth control and abortion, quote, shifts the balance of sexual power further in favor of women. It depletes male patriarchal potency and reduces the penis to an empty plaything. <laughs> That's out of Susan Faludi's book, Backlash. You need that reference book on your shelf if you're a school teacher. Backlash, the undeclared war against American women. <laughs> yes, uh, Yes, it's all about the patriarch's eclipsed ability to make the family decisions. It figures as a bitter subtext in all these fights in the, uh, what is it, in the Congress and in the courts. Uh, I think we have to face facts. Um, there is a shadow spreading again over the world. Some people like to call it fascism or I call it, let's just call it tyranny. Um its most emblematic symptom is this subjugation of women, the control of females, yes, uh, democracy, wearing boots. Back in 1980, at the convention of the National Right to Life Committee, that representative Henry Hyde, you remember? Back then, he described himself as a 653-month-old fetus. As more and more males hysterically react to the fate of the innocent fetus trapped in the body of a woman, I begin to see the pathology, you see. Here is woman with a capital W, a veritable Kali, deciding that the life in her must go back into the cosmic cauldron. <laughs> Enough! is enough, she says. But still, these old patriarchs shout, no copulation without population. There was a piece on the uh, uh, Bill Moyers show again last weekend on uh, Now, in which a Republican Catholic judge was threatened because he uh, tried to uphold the right of a 13-year-old girl to have an abortion. She was in the foster care program and uh, the foster care folks tried to stop her. Uh, sad, sad, sad. Uh, I believe his pastor, his priest told him that he uh, couldn't take communion or something. <laughs> you remember what, yeah, what they did to John Kerry. This is absolute uh, nonsense, folks. Uh, the plight of women is what it was back in the Stone Age. Uh, I don't think, I don't think most women... Uh, are wise to it. Uh, the young women I see, they were not raised the way I was to fear the state and to have in place uh, subversive, you know, choices, a few nurses, you knew people who could help you. Um, a woman as subspecies is still a fact around the globe. Yoko Ono once wrote, Woman is the nigger of the world. And we're kidding ourselves if we believe anyone will work for us, except us. It is women who must help women. It may be a little late for justice. We've tried protest, but resistance is definitely the next step. Uh, 
Whether the patriarchy giveth or taketh away, it is up to us, to women, to decide whether or not we're going to go along with the program. History is rolling over us one more time, and the handwriting on my wall reads, Women of the world, unite. You have nothing to lose but your pain. Uh, <laughs> in my search for the underlying causes of misogyny and its effect on our culture, I've been reading again this great tome by a German scholar, Klaus Thiebelite. It's called Male Fantasies. It was written in the early 1970s. And Klaus does this exhaustive job of relating fascism to the suppression of the feminine. Very hard for people to get this, you know. Uh, it's funny, let's see, all fascists are misogynists, but all misogynists are not necessarily fascists. It comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Uh, Thewalite tells us that the dread of woman is a sure sign or a signal that fascism is coming to the culture. He uses, of course, Germany in the 1930s uh, as his example. He was born in 1946. Uh, he traces the ways in which the warrior caste perpetuates itself, even during times of what we call peace. He says that the fascist mentality abhors chaos and disorder, and it associates these qualities with the female, the Jew, the anarchist. Ah, Rosa Luxemburg, yes, that red communist whore. Uh -huh. Fascist mentality uh, associates uh, the female and the Jew and the anarchist with, yes, the other, the, um, the, uh, the, what is it, the, uh, the person that you, you you know lives inside you and that you have to cast out. It's that Jungian shadow, you know, uh, your inner woman, your anima. Maybe it's your mom. According to Wilhelm Reich, the first rule of fascism is the negation of sexual need. Women must be nullified, void as persons. You remember the Germans, they, they set up... Uh, Oh, they called them white women, nurses and wives and uh, pure, pure women. Uh, actually, uh, servants, uh, slaves do not have choices. They must be barefoot and dependent upon uh, patrimony for their survival. Uh, I can't remember. Yes, phallocrats know that the male is the measure of all things. Uh, I do remember, yes, I remember... Uh, the point at which uh, the feminine begins to irritate. Uh, consider history, you know. Way back World War I, Kaiser Wilhelm, you see, he was the one who said that women within the state should just attend to children, church, and kitchen. Uh, during uh, the period between the wars, Germany between World War I and II, Women soared in Germany. They achieved the vote in 1918 as part of the Weimar Constitution. By 1926, moderate feminists had elected 32 women deputies to the Reichstag. Wow, yes. We've only got 14 senators. Uh, let's see. The National Parliament uh, that symbolized this brief flowering of democracy uh, in Germany. Yes, that's the one where... 
Oh, right, in the Reichstag, and then Hitler banned the women from uh, the Reichstag. They're doing that now, closing down the meeting, saying you cannot, yes, you cannot continue. Go to the basement, boys. Let's see, at that time, 26, there were only 15 women members of the British Parliament, and women, of course, here in the U.S. Congress had reached a total of three. Uh, the comparison between what happened in Weimar, Germany, and the fate of our own Equal Rights Amendment is clear. Making the world safe for male supremacy is the job of fascism. I wish I had time to tell you uh, more about all this, but enjoy your uh, Gay Pride Week. Get over to the city and dance in the streets. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Divide up those in Have the weapons of mass deception fogged your better judgment? We know that Saddam Hussein produced and possessed chemical and biological weapons and has used chemical weapons. We know that. Some remedy the problem by going to the source. Others go for a different perspective on events. Informe preliminar de la CIA confirma que no hay armas de destrucción masiva en Irak. La ONU debate su reestructuración. At KPFA, support your community station by paying your pledge. Free Speech Radio, it's about 4 p.m. KPFA, KPFB Berkeley, KFCF in